Does President Biden have a problem with the left? How about with young voters? We'll take a look at these Michigan uncommitted numbers and give you a verdict. How about Trump's problems? He's basically an incumbent and Nikki Haley is still able to hang around and garner votes. Does that matter? Biden and Trump head to the border, but they're not carpooling. How much will this issue resonate in the fall? And what can Biden do about it now? We're just days away from a potential partial government shutdown. Again, we'll help you talk about it at the office, at family gatherings, etc. Welcome back to the podcast for the 54% of Americans who vote for progress in every election and want to convince their conservative friends and family members to join a majority. This is Majority 54. All right, Jason, we are now post Michigan primary and the conversation is all about Joe Biden uh, and the uncommitted vote. Both Biden and Trump cruised to victory, but over 13 percent of voters voted uncommitted, which was part of a uh, protest vote by uh, people in Michigan who felt like Biden wasn't hearing them on the issue of Israel and Gaza. Uh, and uh, this is the conversation now. And I think the the geography of this is interesting. Uh, uncommitted drew 61% of the uh, Dearborn vote, which is a huge Arab American community. Um, and then if you look at the sort of younger college communities, um, Biden's performance in Ann Arbor uh, and East Lansing, uh, where Michigan State is, both were above the 13%. So uh, I think the the narrative this morning is that uh, Biden has a problem. Uh, what do you think about that narrative? Do you think Biden actually has a problem here? Uh, I think it is both slightly overstated and also real. Um, so what I mean is, uh, yeah, look, you don't really need a poll or even a primary vote to look around and come to the conclusion that Democratic voters writ large are just not that excited about Joe Biden. Like, let's be real. He's, you know, he's been president for four years. He's been in our lives for damned ever. Um, and he's 81 years old. And it, look, the whole sales pitch four years ago was, uh, we're going to make things a little bit boring again, boring, but effective. Things will get done, but you won't have to wake up every day thinking about what crazy thing the president has done. And he has delivered on that promise. Uh, the, I guess, downside to that is that, yeah, people are are not like ready to go, you know, fire, like ready to go march into hell armed only with ice water for Joe Biden. That's not what's happening. But if you remember, like back to 2012, you know, there was a bit of an enthusiasm gap just to reelect President Obama. Not quite like this, I don't think, but it was there. So I think that's real. Um, I think at the same time, it is a bit of a false comparison when they act like Biden has this huge problem on the left, but Trump has no problem on the right. When Nikki Haley, uh, though she's not coming close to winning, is still, you know, getting a pretty decent percentage of the vote in the Republican primary. Yeah, I think Trump has a probably a bigger problem on the right. Uh, I, I think I think part of what we're conditioned to believe, though, you know, just like I, as a Bills fan, I'm conditioned to believe that the the Chiefs will always pull it out, no matter how dire things look. Um, as a Democrat, I'm conditioned to believe that the Republicans will close ranks. Uh, okay, but we, hang on, let's compare the two because as a Bills <laughs> fan, you're right because the Chiefs always do. Like, but the difference I don't know why is, I this up. This is no, 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 it's okay. But I'm saying that that's the difference. The difference is we have regularly beat the Republicans, mm -hmm. right? It'd be like yeah. if if the Bills actually were vanquishing the Chiefs in the playoffs every year, which they're not and never well, will. That's the difference. 
Well, I guess it's we beat Republicans because they fail to. Also, why does my team have to be the Republicans in this? Like, this is terrible. Anyway, back back to you. I think, and I don't know if I actually believe this, but the theory goes that the Republicans lose because they fail to win independence, not because they don't hold their coalition together. Uh, whereas we have this sort of fractured coalition that it takes a lot more energy to hold together because we're a more diverse coalition, right? Less homogenous, mm-hmm. both ideologically and um, racially, uh, demographically. And it's harder to hold the coalition together. We're more vulnerable to these types of dynamics. Whereas I have a, I have a strong feeling that that 30% that went for Haley is going to largely come home. I have mm-hmm. questions about whether this 13% will show up in November for Biden. I don't think the majority of them are not going to show up, but um, a few percentage points here and there. You know, Biden won Michigan by 150,000 votes. He won some other states by way fewer. And this is just the beginning of this conversation. Like, we're probably contributing to the problem by talking about it, but obviously it's a real conversation, so we can't avoid it. Um, I think as this conversation grows, you're going to see. Uh, more people decide to pull the lever, maybe even on other issues other than Gaza, too, for uncommitted. What I think a lot of it's going to come down to is, frankly, like with this issue, with the issue of Gaza, is what happens in Gaza over the next several months, right? I mean, look, we all at this point hope for a cessation of hostilities at, at, at the least. We hope that, uh, I mean, look, we don't have to get all into the issue because it's going to take us in a completely different direction on this episode. Um, but we certainly hope not for political reasons, but for humans not dying reasons, uh, that this is not a major issue by November. Um, And that's obviously what Biden is working toward. You know, we're hearing all sorts of stories about what he's saying, uh, you know, behind closed doors, Netanyahu. And now you can, certainly there are reasonable people who can disagree about whether it's enough to be saying that behind closed doors versus being more transparent publicly versus the issue of, you know, still pushing for uh, you know, weapons to be sent to Israel and that kind of thing. Those are legitimate debates, certainly. But hopefully, it's not a front and center issue. Because I think personally that it the issue of like young people, I think it's part and parcel to the issue that he's having with Arab Americans and, and Muslim Americans. I, I think it's the same issue driving both, don't you? Yes, actually. And you know, Hill Harper, the actor who's also, um, I think, a political candidate in Michigan, is you know he he spoke to this uh, and some experiences that he's had on the ground in Michigan. Let's go to this clip. The Democratic Party right now has a problem in Michigan because I was in a meeting um, with fourteen Arab and Muslim leaders talking about this, and someone said in that meeting something that just really was start startling. Because I said in the meeting, which what a lot of people say, say you know. Um, if you don't support President Biden, it's literally supporting Trump. And Trump wanted to pass the Muslim ban. That's not good. You know, and the person looked me in the face and said, Hill, you don't understand um, many people in our culture. And I said, well, what, please educate me. I want to. And he said, many of us would rather be stabbed in the face than stabbed in the back. And they feel that the Democratic Party has stabbed them in the back. Basically, what he said is that in speaking with the Arab American community, uh, what what he had was just this idea that uh, that 
what what he was presented with was this idea that yes, Trump is worse, but they said, uh, but he stabbed us in the back, and there's a part of our population that would just prefer to be stabbed in the front. Um, and so, you know, the point being, they feel betrayed. Yeah, I think. You know, this is tough because you're the politician, not me. So I think like you're more schooled in addressing people's concerns, even if you don't agree with them. Like, I think like Mm -hmm. in this case, I don't, obviously you and I don't agree on the, on the sort of core issue with the people hitting uh, uncommitted. Although I think we're more aligned than I think some people would. I I think we're getting Uh, closer to them every day, man. I mean, I think the longer this goes on and and the, I mean, you and I are two people who have never trusted Netanyahu any further than we can throw him. And he seems like he's a pretty big fella. So I I just, I don't think we're that far from them. I'm not in voting uncommitted territory, but I get it. And, uh, but yeah, well, but you, what you just said is not much different than Biden's position, but I think there are two things, but I think, but what I, I think we both definitely don't agree on is stabbed in the front versus stabbed in the back metaphor. I don't think, first of all, I don't think, Biden is stabbing them in the front, but I think it's almost like one person maybe, you know, I don't know what the metaphor is. Whatever it is, it's not the same implement, right? Like having a Muslim ban and using the language that Trump uses against Muslims, in addition to being as bad or worse on the Israel issue, is not like this. This is a false equivalency. Uh, And that is a tricky thing to argue because you don't want to argue with people about how they feel, right? So I don't know what the Biden administration does. And I also don't think no matter what Biden does now, policy-wise, I think the cement has dried on how um, you know the pro-Palestinian community feels about Biden. I'm not sure he can do much to undo the perception. I think that's probably right. But I also think that if you are the pro-Palestinian community and you're trying to get a certain result, which is Biden to take uh, you know, stronger action to get Israel to, um, to, for a ceasefire, then you leverage the opportunity that you have right now in the primaries. I mean, it's not, I mean, so from, from a certain perspective, it is a smart political strategy. It is saying, Hey, we're not messing around right now. The, it's a totally separate question as to whether if you're a pro-Palestinian American leader, if you actually push to pull the trigger in the general election and try and ask people to stay home, I know it's not that simple, right? But but that's a separate question because going back to the stabbed in the back, stabbed in the front analogy, what I think it's really off about it is, is that the difference is that the guy who stabs you um, in the front, like he doesn't, he's never going to listen to you. You have no leverage over him ever. And then the guy that metaphorically you're saying Biden has betrayed you, th- that is a person who you are within their coalition. So the idea is at least this person I can sway. So I'm going to try to sway this person. Um, and then it's a totally separate question about whether or not you ask your, your people to stay home in November. That It's almost two completely separate issues. Yeah, my, my suspicion is a lot of these leaders like Rashida Tlaib, you know, like I imagine a lot of them are going to finally come around to Biden in the fall, but that some percentage of their people won't be with them. Right. Uh, it's and not I, unlike Bernie. Yes. Yeah. Although, although I trust Bernie more than Rashida, I know Rashida. I, I think, but I mean, not unlike yeah, his voters. Yeah, not unlike his voters, and obviously that's dangerous because you know at least one time when we played this experiment, 
it was mm-hmm. material depending on who you ask, uh, you know, the non-vote. So Biden's going to need every vote he can. Like I, I did the numbers the other day. I forget what they were, but people forget how few votes separated Trump and Biden across a few states. And that was at a point where Biden's approval rating was much, much higher. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously the, the rejoinder there is that Trump is less popular too. Although again, like his coalition is so homogenous and he requ- he 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 depends upon so few independent voters that it's just so tricky. This this feels like it's heading towards a low turnout election compared to the last, at least the last one, maybe the last two. And that's dangerous territory for Democrats in a world where Republican voters are motivated to oust Biden. Yeah. It's this it's just the simple math of our coalition is larger, but it's harder to keep together. Their coalition is smaller, but it's easier to keep together. And that's difficult, man. That makes for narrow margins. It makes for where you, you've got to be very careful. Um, but yeah. to make people feel maybe a little less concerned, you've got Nate Silver saying, uncommitted didn't do well by any reasonable benchmark in Michigan. Not sure why people are trying to spin this into a story. If anything, a little bullish for Biden insofar as it suggests that the protest vote over Gaza might not be all that large. I can see what he's saying because you would think that if hopefully the diplomatic and actual on the ground situation in Gaza improves, which hopefully it does between now and November for the sake of human beings and also for the politics, much, much, you know, in the rear view to that, that this would be the zenith of that protest and that Michigan would be the place where it would be the strongest given the large Arab American community there. And the idea being that if it gets to 15% and that's the Zenith, that would be bullish, but you know, and, and I can see what Nate Silver's saying. Our friend Claire McCaskill said, um, yesterday twice that she actually put, um, in her tweet. I'm not like <laughs> reading a bad quote. Um, yesterday, twice as many people voted against Trump in, in the Republican primary than against Biden in the democratic primary, almost 300,000 R's said no to Trump. Only 144,000 D's said uncommitted or those other two people running versus Biden. I love uh, how Claire doesn't even name the other, she, those other two people. Um, so, you know, there's something there to make you feel a little better, if that's what you're looking for. Uh, should we move yeah. on to the Trump and Haley situation here a little bit? Yeah. You know, as, as this guy Tim Bonnier pointed out on Twitter, uh, Trump's 42-point margin was 15 points short of his final 538 margin. So he's, you know, the theory goes that he's underperforming the polling. It's so hard to say because there is no evidence that I can see other than this that Trump is in any way hemorrhaging support uh, on the Republican side. Like, quite the contrary. Like, he seems so durable within the Republican coalition, both as evidenced by the fact that he's running away with the primary and the fact that it seems like almost every elected official seems to be tripping over themselves to do whatever he asks, including people who were way more bold in trying to skirt him uh, in previous years. It's fascinating to me how much things have changed in eight years. Because if you recall, the question going into 2016 was, okay, he polls here, but isn't it likely that a lot of people when they're polled don't feel like they can actually say they're voting for Trump because it's embarrassing and there's some shame associated with it? So won't he, and it turned out to be the case, won't he actually perform better than he polls? Because people can go into the ballot box and it's a secret ballot and they can you know, do what they want to do. Now he's so mainstreamed, he is the Republican Party, that when, he, when people are polled, 
they are more likely to just say Trump, either because they think it's the appropriate thing to say, or I think just as likely because they're polling people who aren't necessarily going to go actually vote in a Republican primary. And they're like, uh, yeah, I guess Trump, because they haven't followed it and they don't really know who Nikki Haley is. And then he underperforms the polls. So it's fascinating how we've gone from him being a somewhat of a pariah, yet yet the nominee, but somewhat of a pariah eight years ago to where people were, they felt shame in actually saying to another person they were voting for him to now it's like assumed that they will be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that means, if that's good or bad. It's just interesting. Yeah. One, you know, I'm trying to find like silver linings here. You know, the, the one, one silver lining is the financial numbers where, you know, Biden has over a hundred million dollars cash on hand, basically raised more in January than Trump has in the bank. Uh, and, you know, Trump is not sitting on a lot of money right now. And obviously is probably going to spend some of that on some stuff that has nothing to do with campaigning. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that plus the fact that I think the in a world where Trump is dipping into campaign coffers to pay for personal stuff, you can imagine certain big donors who are gettable, like the Coke Network, for example, who suspended funding for Haley after South Carolina, uh, which is, you know, like saying they're they've stopped it, uh, is mm -hmm. I can, I have a hard time imagining those folks jumping in and throwing money at Trump, knowing what he's spending it on. That's the silver lining. I have a big question about how much this campaign funding matters in 2024, right. especially when you're Trump, when you can garner instant media attention. Yeah. I, look, you know. it's a, I, here's, if, if there's an argument for why it matters, it matters because it's going to be a turnout election. It's not yeah. going to be a persuasion election for the most part, right? I mean, yeah. Biden has to persuade some people, but mostly what he has to do is persuade some people to show up. Right. And, and, and Trump- vote early that, too, which is- Vote early, show yeah. up. And there's, there's a lot of logistics and mechanics that go into that. And, there's, and it takes a lot of resources and infrastructure. So that's where there's a silver lining. That's where money is going to matter. But I'll give you another silver lining, which is that Biden is starting to campaign. And- yeah. He really hasn't. And Trump has only been campaigning. Um, for, I mean, he's not running a government, obviously. The only thing he's overseeing is a, a legal, uh, a, a boutique law firm specializing in defending him. Um, it's a complex, we would call a complex litigation law firm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's what it, boutique, my ass, right? Specializing it, it, in, <laughs> in all sorts of areas of law. Yeah. He's got a white collar firm with 13 associates at a minimum. Civil um, and but, criminal. Civil case. and criminal. Yeah. That's just the civil side. Yeah. Um, so yeah, 26 probably. But uh, so he's, he's doing that, but really he's been campaigning like crazy. And now you've got Biden doing stuff like he's going on Seth Meyers. He's getting out of Washington. So, which is going to bring us to what we're going to talk to after the break. But what I will say is, is that getting out of Washington, doing more sit downs, small crowds, Bill Clinton in New Hampshire, Bill Clinton in Iowa style stuff, which Biden is much more of that. I mean, look, He's not Bill Clinton and he's not Barack Obama. Let's be let's be real. But on the scale between the two, he's closer to Bill Clinton style than he is to Barack Obama style. Right. Mm -hmm. He's much more of a work the crowd, charm people, um, say to every guy. I mean, because I've campaigned with him, every guy over six, three, he's going to say, man, you look like you could still play. I mean, he's going to do these moves. OK. Right. And, and they are appealing. Um, and it's a lot different than when he stands behind a podium. Um, you know, in the White House 
or anywhere in Washington. He's just better at this. And so if you're looking for a silver lining or sort of a reason to be optimistic, it's that he's starting to get out and do that stuff. So I, I went to the sort of optimism factory over the past few days because I've been deeply pessimistic, as most of our listeners would know. And this is what I came up with. Okay. This is this is this is the best I could do here. The Biden is gonna benefit from the fact that this this deep pessimism came as early as it did. That's true. I agree with this. And I just think that our attention spans are what they are. And I can't imagine that this doom saying is going to last as long as it, as it, as this sort of election cycle, because nothing lasts that long in American life. Mm -hmm. So my hope, and this is even within my own psyche, is that people like get over the, like they get so sick of this conversation around age that they come out the other side and the sort of weekend at Bernie's summer begins. And we're all like really hyped up about it being us and we're the ones we've been waiting for. And we are also viscerally reminded of who Trump is, which I do think some of these folks need reminding. Uh, mm-hmm. I really do. I don't, it's, it's crazy to say, but I think anybody who uses a metaphor that equates Biden and Trump, for instance, on uh, you know the Muslim issue, for example. I just interviewed Michael Shear from the New York Times yesterday, who wrote a whole book about immigration and had you know lots to say about the Muslim ban. And I mean, people can get mad at me to say like, "Who are you to remind me of that?" And I'm like, "I'm sorry. I I, I protested outside of the federal courthouses. I heard. I I've read these court cases. I heard, you know I remember Trump saying shithole countries and explicitly trying to ban people uh, based on their religion." And I and I look at Biden and I know that's the opposite of him, right? He might not be where you want on Israel, but actually he, he will, like, again, he, he's going to get to a place that uh, it's hard to argue with and is, you know, is as good as you're going to get in American political life right now. That is way different than Trump, who moved the uh, embassy to Jerusalem and will do anything possible to stand up any right-wing lunatic like Netanyahu because he sees himself in these types of leaders. Uh, But, you know, it's going to be up to that coalition at a certain point to actually recognize the change, which I know sometimes when people are highly emotional and feel like they're being ignored, it's hard for them to turn the corner on that. But my optimism you know, my little optimism retreat, I guess this is like the equivalent of like Aaron Rodgers's, uh, you know, darkness retreat tells me that maybe the time is our greatest asset here. Uh, yeah, we'll get over it with time. Well, I hope you're right. When we come back, we're going to talk about the aforementioned Biden, Biden getting out of Washington, going and doing things. It may not be what the left necessarily wants, but it's what's happening, which is Biden and Trump are both heading to the border. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the potential looming government shutdown as soon as we come back from break. Heart health and staying healthy, especially when you have family, friends, or loved ones that you want to be able to spend as much time with as possible is so, so important. February is Heart Health Month in the United States, and more than half the population would still benefit from blood pressure support. Superbeats Heart Shoes are the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended way to support healthy blood pressure, and they even promote heart-healthy energy without the stimulants. Paired with a healthy lifestyle, the antioxidants in Superbeats are clinically shown to be nearly two times more effective at promoting normal blood pressure than a healthy lifestyle alone. And with over 
40,000 five-star reviews and counting, people are raving about Superbeats Heart Shoes. Superbeats Heart Shoes are absolutely delicious, and they're truly much better than any alternative supplements out there. I take my Superbeats Heart Shoes each morning, and it's really helped kickstart my day. After taking my Superbeats Heart Shoes, I feel like I have more energy. I'm ready to take on the day. Superbeats Heart Shoes support healthy circulation, so you not only get blood pressure support, you also get productive, heart-healthy energy without the crash. Support your heart health with Superbeats Heart Shoes. Get a free month supply of Superbeats Heart Shoes on all bundles and a free full-size bag of turmeric shoes valued at $25 with your order by going to majority54beats.com. Get this exclusive offer only at majority54beats.com. Typical children's vitamins are basically candy in disguise, filled with two teaspoons of sugar, unhealthy chemicals, and other gummy junk growing kids should never eat. That's why Hayao was created, the pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin. While most children's vitamins are filled with five grams of sugar and can contribute to a variety of health issues, Hayao is made with zero sugar and zero gummy junk, yet it tastes great and it's perfect for picky eaters. Hayao fills in the most common gaps in modern children's diets to provide the full-body nourishment our kids need with a yummy taste they love. Formulated with the help of nutritional experts, Hayao is pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and veggies, then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals, including vitamin D, B12, C, zinc, folate, and many others to help support immunity, energy, brain function, mood, concentration, teeth, bones, and more. It's non-GMO, vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, nut-free, and everything else you can imagine. Haya is designed for kids of all ages and sent straight to your door so parents have one less thing to worry about. It's also fun to say, Haya. As you know, I'm a father and I'm always on the lookout for the best possible vitamins for my child to take. I'm so happy I've come across Haya Health. The ingredients are amazing and I don't have to worry about sugar or gummy junk because Haya Health is made without that stuff, and it's still able to keep that great taste. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you must go to HayaHealth.com majority. This deal is not available on the regular website, so go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com majority and get your kids the full-body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. So, Jason, both Trump and Biden are heading to the border on the same day, which is Thursday. Uh, and this seems like it's going to be uh, a recurring thread throughout this campaign is that immigration is going to be a big issue. Um, and the American public seems to think so, too. Gallup just came out with a poll yesterday that said uh, significantly more Americans name immigration as the most important problem facing the U.S. than a month ago even. So it's ticking up and up and up. And then a new Monmouth University poll came out over the weekend that said 53% of respondents, the first time a majority of respondents, uh, say they support a border wall. So uh, this seems like it's a big issue. Uh, and I think the question is, can Biden take a Republican asset, at least politically, right? Like we all, we've, we've, already discussed in previous podcasts what we think substantively is going on. But can Biden take a, a previous Republican asset and make it a liability in the way that we did in crime during the midterm elections? Um, you know? I, I am very skeptical because <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm just going to be honest, because three weeks ago, you and I talked about the idea of of Biden doing exactly that, of Biden being able to say, hey, we gave them exactly what they wanted and they chose to have the issue instead of the solution. And th that three weeks ago, 
feels like a year ago already. And we got a long way to go before the election. So the ability to pull the whole, I I was going to close down the border. I asked them to let me close down the border and they said, no, I couldn't have that authority. I haven't heard him saying that. I haven't heard him hammering that idea. Maybe he has and it hasn't well, you know, he, he, gotten the, through. I think this this next few days is going to be critical because he's got mm-hmm. the State of the Union address on March 7th. And my That's political true. spidey sense tells me that he's gearing up to make this a centerpiece of that State of the Union address. So I don't think this visit, I mean, this is this is huge scheduling real estate. So the question yeah. is, well, what is he doing down at the border? I don't think he's just going down there for uh, the political optics. I think he's going to go down there and announce this executive order that they floated in the press a couple of days ago, where um, they floated basically using the authority that Trump used for the aforementioned Muslim ban to um, basically halt um, asylum seekers uh, unilaterally, which will be immediately challenged by the ACLU. They already said they would. And uh, then it will be Biden having to rely on Trump administration precedents to try to get this thing through. Um, this was a big subject of the conversation I had with Shear yesterday, who covers this beat for the New York Times at the White House. And we both agreed that this was about the politics, not the substance, that Biden wants to get caught trying and wants basically to get credit for trying and getting shut down. And we also both agreed that uh, this may be smart politics for the the middle. Shear was like, what middle, though? He's like, there is no middle mm-hmm. left in American life. But he did say, because he's also covering the Michigan sort of uncommitted vote beat, that Biden's playing political whack-a-mole because like, this is also going to remind some of those voters in college towns uh, and others that he is moderate uh, mm-hmm. in ways that they don't like. It's tricky because it, your point is a good one, um, that he wants to get caught trying because if he, if he were successful, let's say, you know, I want to close the border. I want to use these powers uh, to stop asylum seekers. If he were able to do those things fully, he would be punished by the left, uh, I think, uh, in turnout and that sort of thing. But if he, if he attempts and is unsuccessful, then the question is, does the left think he's going to do it or do they just uh, give it a pass because he was not successful in doing it, right? So, and then does that get you anything, right? Can right. you really win any of these folks back? I think it is very difficult. What this really comes down to, as you've pointed out many times, is the current policy with regard to immigration is not actually working. No. Um, which is evident as evidenced by the fact that Biden tried to you know, make a bipartisan deal that the Republicans rejected that would have helped. But there are, you know, in cities across the country, there is a sense that the migrant population is is becoming problematic uh, for mayors and that sort of thing. And, you know, we're talking liberal mayors. So it is a real problem. And it just comes down to he has to find a way to actually alleviate to some degree that problem. That's the best politics. Yeah, it depends on what kind of politics we're in right now. If this were 2020, there's a politics of pragmatism where everybody on the left looks at what Biden's moves and says, all right, we beat Trump by any means necessary. And we, you know, we we understand what he's doing and we all kind of close ranks because we know that if, you know, if Biden needs to signal this to win an extra 100,000 swing voters in Georgia, great, especially since it's probably not going to be enacted. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I happen to think substantively that 
um, pretty dramatic action is necessary at the border right now. And I think the asylum process is so broken that Biden needs to do everything possible to try to fix it. Uh, and I do think like the legislation that was pushed made a lot of sense, which it was just increased capacity, right? Right now mm -hmm. people are coming in and they're declaring themselves at the border uh, no matter what their asylum claim is, which is hurting people with credible asylum claims. Uh, and And we need to keep that in mind that there are people out there who are fleeing oppressive regimes who can't get a hearing for five, six years, um, and who are also facing a politics that's going to be increasingly restrictionist on asylum seekers and skeptical of asylum seekers because um, economic migrants are taking advantage of that system. And that doesn't mean we don't have sympathy for economic migrants, but we have to treat economic migrants separate from asylum seekers, both because that is the current law in the US, but we've also signed international treaties that obligate us to do so. Uh, so this is this is the real mess. Uh, and you know, this is an example of like the high wire act that Biden has to pull off because we talked about him, you know, increasingly campaigning and all of that. But his governing challenges are as significant as any president in our lifetime right now. Like the kinds of issues that he has to uh, solve. Um, we'll talk about the, the the debt ceiling, government shutdown, Ukraine aid. We're talking about the border. He has to continue to shepherd through a strong economy. He has to push a ceasefire in Gaza. I mean, you can go on and on student loans. He's continuing to fight on that front. I mean, it's it's real. And he's double our age doing this right now <laughs> <Do> yeah you, <laughs> you couldn't help yourself yeah uh, do you do you do you do you think that what he's setting up given given the fact that his argument has been about the need for resources that he's going to the border do you think that like the head of the border patrol union is going to be at the state of the union or somebody from the border that's what i would do yeah i would have them as a guest i would I think he'll, i think he'll invite them bet. I think he'll invite yeah. them. The question is, like these Border Patrol Union people, like it's a good way to lose your job as the head of the Border Patrol Union is to show up, unless you are able to say, "I'm trying to yeah. get us the increase unless we need." Confident. I mean, yeah. in in a strictly transactional world, that would make a lot of sense. The problem mm -hmm. for the head of the Border Patrol Union is that he's got to be thinking there's a fifty fifty chance that Trump becomes the next president, and you know that. That's the end of you uh, if Trump becomes well, president. I'll give yeah. you a more immediate problem. How about the fact that everybody who votes you in as the president right. of the Border Patrol Union lives at the border in Texas and is in the Border Patrol? Mm -hmm. They're not. They're mostly not voting for Biden, right? Yeah. So I, I know it's a union, but still, like they, they're mostly not. And so that's that's a difficult. Uh, that talk about your high wire act. But if he can do that, the surest way to in a, you know miniature way or in, in a small measured way co-opt some of that issue is to try is to be in a position to present the border patrol as being on your side in this campaign if you can do that that gets you a very long way i mean he'll definitely mention it right so and then the question yeah. is like yeah who does he point to in the audience i'm sure they'll find somebody so it may mm -hmm. be like a former border patrol person who's been outspoken yeah, yeah. or whatever but they'll say it uh, and i think the question is really interested to see what this because the state of the union is one thing right like only so many people are going to tune into that but it it tells you what they think their narrative is heading mm -hmm. into this sort of critical i would say early stages of this camp long long campaign season and the challenge for biden but is an opportunity is how do you not just make it you don't want to be on 
Republican territory all the time, right? But so how do you take an issue that is a traditional strength of Republicans and a traditional vulnerability for Democrats and turn it into not just a, an asset for you potentially, but something that, that speaks to a, a wider story that you want to tell? And I think for this one, it's pretty obvious, which is uh, you take the, you know, Trump's explicit, uh, you know, his, his explicit uh, directive to kill this bill to describe uh, the kind of governance we can expect from him and the obstacles that Biden has had to overcome as president, which is um, these are not people interested in solving problems. They're political arsonists. And what you can expect under their administration is chaos. And they're, they're not, there's no issue they're trying to solve. They're just trying to, um, you know, burn the system down and they're trying to, and, and he could point to the government shutdown stuff. You could point to the Ukraine stuff. You could point to the border stuff. Uh, you could point to Trump saying he wants to be dictator on day one type stuff. And it, you point to all that stuff and say, these people aren't interested in governing. Um, mm -hmm. We do this sort of unsexy work of governing and you, it may not get you jazzed to, you know, to, you know, you know, doesn't spring you out of bed in the morning to 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 pull the lever for Biden, but a vote for Biden is a vote for some sense of stability and common sense. I, I think on all of these issues, what it comes down to is the argument you make to your friends and family about this is Biden is interested interested in doing stuff, and Trump is interested in starting fights, and right. he's interested in in looking good. He wants to win. He wants to be adored. He doesn't actually care what happens. And so you take any issue. You take the border and you're able to say, Biden presented a solution. Everybody thought it was a good idea, but Trump said, you can't do that because then I won't be able to use that issue. And then it doesn't matter what issue you're talking, you just, you know, all these issues, it's Trump wants to play politics. Biden wants to get stuff done. And this is where, by the way, and, and before we go to a break for the next thing, this is where you use his age as an advantage, right? And you say, look, Joe Biden does not care at this point what people think of him. Joe Biden has things he thinks need to get done for the country. Donald Trump is trying to stay out of jail and have people like him. And, and it's just like, that's where you say like Biden, this is his last act. He's just trying to do stuff for the country. And, and I think if you stay on that and you use this stuff over and over, I think that's ultimately going to be their argument. At some point they've got a jujitsu, the age thing for Biden to be like, yeah, I'm old. This is like the last thing I'm going to do. I'm just trying to do some good. Yeah. And I think that's what it's going to have to be. So, all right, we're going to come back in just a minute and uh, we're going to we're going to talk about the potential for a government shutdown uh, and, you know, what Speaker Mike, speaking of trying to hold tiny coalitions together, slim coalition, Speaker Mike Johnson um, looked pretty small in, in the Oval Office this week. So we'll come back in just a second. I'm always on the lookout for immune strength during cold and flu season. I just discovered an incredible product, Armrock Colostrum. Now my immune health has never been stronger. I recently began using Armrock Colostrum because I need something to help strengthen my gut barrier, protecting against toxins, chemicals, and pollutants that drive inflammation. Colostrum anybody who's had kids knows is the first nutrition that we receive in life. And it's an exclusive source of all the essential nutrients that we need in order to thrive. 
Armrock colostrum is sustainably sourced and is a proprietary concentrate of bovine colostrum that harnesses over 400 functional nutrients to strengthen your immune barriers, your body's inside suit of armor, and first line of defense against harmful particles from the environment that can trigger inflammation and make you sick. Armrock colostrum strengthens immunity, ignites metabolism, fortifies gut health, promotes hair growth and skin radiance, and powers fitness performance and recovery. Armrock colostrum strengthens all four layers of your gut wall, where 80% of your immune cells are housed. When the immune barriers of your gut are compromised, you are left vulnerable. The body's gut wall system is your critical line of defense against particles from the environment that can make you sick. Armraw colostrum strengthens all four layers of the gut wall system naturally, optimizing your microbiome, fortifying your gut wall architecture, and replenishing your army of immune cells, securing your highest integrity gut health and immune defense. It's a rich, exclusive source of immunoglobulins, which are antibodies, that optimize your immune defense during cold and flu season. I take three to four scoops of arm rock colostrum a day. You can increase it as desired for amplified defense. And as a whole food, there's no such thing as too much. We've worked out a special offer for our audience. You receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmrod.com slash majority or enter majority to get 15% off your first order. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A dot com slash majority. I'm not a young man anymore. And I know that finding the right life insurance to protect my family members with Policy Genius has never been more important. You should make life insurance part of your financial planning this year. You could start shopping now with Policy Genius to find a policy to protect your family. And getting life insurance today means you'll have peace of mind so that if something were to happen to you, your family can cover expenses while getting back on their feet. Uh, luckily, Policy Genius helps you compare your options from top companies, and their team of licensed experts is on hand to help you talk through it all. Having the right life insurance will give you the peace of mind, knowing that your family will be taken care of in a worst-case scenario, and they have licensed award-winning agents and technology that make it easy to compare insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 a year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com majority or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how you could save. That's policygenius.com slash majority. All right. Well, uh, speaking of, you know, Biden having his hands full, he hosted congressional leaders Tuesday at the White House to both try to avert a government shutdown and uh, get Ukraine aid through. Uh, let's go to a video of congressional leaders uh, reacting to this meeting. The first priority of the country is our border and making sure it's secure. I, I believe the Mike president Johnson. can take executive authority right now today to change that. The other big priority for our country, of course, is the funding of our government. And we have been working in good faith around the clock every single day for months and, and weeks and over the last several days quite literally around the clock to get that job done. We're very optimistic. I, I hope that the other leaders came out here and told you the same. We believe that we can get to agreement on these issues and prevent a government shutdown. And that's our first uh, responsibility. The meeting on um, Ukraine was one of the most intense I have ever encountered in my many meetings in the Oval Office. 
who he said to the speaker, get it done. I told him, this is one of the moments, I said, I've been around here a long time. It's maybe four or five times that history is looking over your shoulder. And if you don't do the right thing, whatever the immediate politics are, you will regret it. I told him two years from now and every year after that, because really it's in his hands. And it was the consensus in that room, Zelensky and Ukraine will lose the war if we don't get the arms and don't get them quickly. This is an existential moment for the free world as it relates to being there for our democratic allies in Ukraine, in Israel, and in the Indo-Pacific, and also at the same period of time, making sure that we provide humanitarian assistance to Palestinian civilians who are in harm's way in Gaza or in other theaters of war through no fault of their own. All right. Well, I think, I well, think Schumer, I mean, Schumer's pissed. You can tell. Yeah. Like, have you spent a lot of time with Schumer? You know, it, I was just writing something the other day involving Schumer because um, he gives the same graduation speech. <laughs> he gives the same every graduation speech. Yeah. So I had the experience one year of listening to him give my graduation speech for Binghamton, by the way, Hakeem Jeffries, who we just heard from, a proud Binghamton graduate. Uh, he, and then a couple of years later, my mom graduated from college. She graduated from college after me. And I was sitting in the audience for the exact same speech from Chuck Schumer. <laughs> uh, and I, it's like, it's like a rite of passage. Um, I, I, I think Schumer is so impressive. Like, yeah. regardless of people could say about what his politics are and all that, I don't even know what his politics are anymore. I just could say from somebody who has a lot of negative things to say about the leaders who've come out of New York over the past few decades, that Schumer is very effective, very energetic, and I'm proud to have him representing the state of New York. Schumer is, just, I mean, I, I, I don't have enough time for all the Schumer stories I have. Because you know, he was the I head was, of the DS, right? When you were running for Senate, well, right? No, he, more than that. He was the guy who was going to be majority leader if we if we won the senate and he you know looked at me and two other people and was like all three of these need to win for me to become majority leader so he and i talked all the time and well which is to say he talked and i listened and then i would say some stuff and then he would talk again but anyway uh that's schumer angry um and that's schumer deeply serious um we're gonna let's we have breaking news uh i guess that that's come out so we're recording this on wednesday and i guess um mitch mcconnell has announced that uh he in november will step aside as senate republican leader um i don't think we need to spend a lot of time on this because it's pretty i don't think anybody thought that he was going to try to be leader again i mean the guy has had some health problems he's he's run the race uh, and he's done all the damage he would say good we'd say damage that he can do don't you think yes uh this is this is not shocking uh but it's going to be fascinating to see what happens next because we we've now run through the sort of underbrush of the Mitt Romneys and um the Ben Sasses and all that and now McConnell is like moderate compared to yeah. i never thought we would say say it's this crazy. You know? and and for people listening i don't mean he's actually moderate i just mean that this is how extreme the republican party is now that mcconnell's too moderate for the republican party and mcconnell like thinks the government should exist um <laughs> yeah. for reasons other than score settling sometimes um yeah. all right but let's go back to this shutdown um mike johnson is the dog that caught the car because 
Mike Johnson is in this situation where he can keep the government open by having Demo- by just having a few Republicans, himself included, vote with Democrats, and then they'll have it, keep it open by a healthy margin. But if he does that, he's just going to be Mike Johnson. He's not going to be Speaker Mike Johnson anymore, which, right. you know, so we're going to find out if he's going to be like most politicians in Washington, where he thinks that he keeping the moniker in front of his name is the most important thing in the world that could happen. But Schumer's point is, dude, it is about more than that. A Democratic ally is going to lose a war unless you get off your ass and pass Ukraine aid. Um, that is a huge deal. And, and it is, you're seeing Zelensky be much more strident about talking about domestic American politics because he knows that his fortunes weigh largely on it. Um, and so it is worrisome. Like they are, they are, we talked about this last week, they are losing ground because they don't have the aid and it's desperately important that the U S Congress act. Yeah. It's, it's hard to imagine a, like if he can't rally for this Johnson, then there's no hope because what Schumer is saying is that they've all acknowledged that Zelensky and Ukraine lose if we don't give them this aid. Mm-hmm. And if Johnson can't get his back up on this, then there's just no hope on anything. And so I'm really hoping that that he does the right thing here. Here's what I think is going to happen. If you noticed in the comments that Johnson made outside the White House, he said that the border is the most important thing to his caucus. And then what he said was, is that there are things the president can do on executive action. You and I just talked a few minutes ago about how Biden is probably going to announce executive actions when he's at the border, probably going to talk about it in the State of the Union. What I think Johnson is trying to do and what what I'd be willing to bet happened in that meeting is that Johnson, whether he can acknowledge it or not, what his caucus wants to do is they want to be able to go home to their districts and they want to say, we got stuff done on the border. They thought they were going to do that with the bipartisan bill. Trump said, no, 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 no. You're not allowed to do that because I want the issue. So what I think he's doing is he's creating an opening for where, um, where Biden can do the executive actions. He can say, look, we forced Biden to do the executive actions on the border. That is the concession we got in order to uh, keep the government open. Hopefully he keeps the wackadoodles in his caucus on board with that idea. They get to feel like they did something, they forced Biden to do it. Um, and then the government stays open, Ukraine gets its aid. That's what I think he's trying to do, and I hope I'm right. Yeah, I mean, this is the, I mean, I've said this so many times on this podcast over the years, but why every few months are we in this mess trying to keep the government open? Yeah. It's crazy. If, 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 if keeping the government open were us staying in an apartment, we, I would consider us housing unstable and yes. like, you know, going <laughs> yes. to the world, like that's the world I live in day to day is veterans homelessness. And like the place where I work has a wider definition of homelessness. Federal government says, if you're on the street, you're homeless and nothing short of that does it count. And we're like, eh, if you only have a few bucks left to make rent, you're homeless. You just don't know it yet. The United States is analogously homeless. We just don't know it yet. The way we take the, you know, every once in a while, we're just like, eh, let's see if we make rent. It's terrible. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. Oh, well, okay. Uh, moving on. Um, there, Hunter Biden uh, it has arrived in Congress uh, for closed door testimony. Um, he's going to face questions from members of two GOP led committees uh, for a deposition behind closed doors. Um, and, uh, I don't know what to say about this other than, uh, it seemed to come and go that the Russians 
planted probably the most <laughs> like incendiary uh, piece of information against Hunter. And as we acknowledge, like there doesn't change some of the other stuff that Hunter did, but I'm not sure why him uh, having a substance abuse issue or a uh, improperly licensed, unlicensed or whatever firearm is a, a matter of national concern. But uh, this seems like a tremendous waste of time and resources. Yeah. Let's just reiterate what we talked about last week, which is that a Russian intelligence operation successfully used what is essentially a Russian asset, a guy named Smirnov, to plant a story that was picked up by congressional Republicans and got them to launch an impeachment inquiry against the president of the United States based entirely on something fabricated by Russian intelligence. And it's like one of the biggest scandals in forever, and we're not even talking about it. Um, but hopefully we will be at some point. Uh, whenever we talk about Hunter Biden. So with that, yeah. uh, Ravi, what's new with you? You're you're now in, in California. You in were California. in Arizona. Yeah, I'm California heading to uh, D.C. tomorrow for a debate at the American Enterprise Institute. Folks can come check that out. Oh. Uh, and what are, you, uh, just, what are you debating at AEI? We're debating, I don't know if you know Greg Meyer from North Carolina. He's uh, mm-hmm. a uh, North Carolina legislature, we're debating school choice. So, uh, like what Democrats should do on school choice issues. So, you want, um, you want to know something interesting? When I was an undergrad at American and I was just stringing together this long line of internships and I didn't know anything about like which policy think tank was which, I was like 19 years old. I spent a semester as an intern at the American Enterprise Institute. Oh, really? I, and as I sat there, I was like, stuff coming across my desk. I, I was, uh, I worked for this guy, Ben Wattenberg. Uh, who um, was like a conservative. I remember what I knew about him was he was a conservative, but who had backed Gore in 2000 because he was also a Jew and and Gore had picked Lieberman. And he was like, this is a big moment for my people. And so he backed Gore. And that's all I knew about him. And I never met him. I just like worked for his assistant. And uh, anyway, so that was my, my like long oh my ago, I, I, I interned at AEI. Well, it's funny. I did Brookings my summer after college, and this guy Pietro Novola, who is like the vice president of Brookings, who's Sardinian guy. Uh, my first day, this is my first professional internship ever. He shows up and he goes, "So excited to have you here. Um, really pumped for the summer. By the way, I'm going to Sardinia for the summer, so I'll see you in August." That was my first internship, <laughs> so I basically had nothing to do for months. So I was just hang out at Dupont Circle. Uh, and buy but books. Got, from but you got that books. on the resume, man. Got that, that on was the important resume. In applying to law school. That's what I was doing, yeah. man. My re- I was like, Amer- anybody who's figuring out where to go to college, if you go to American University, they, they structure the schedule so it's the classes are Monday, Thursday, and Tuesday, Friday, so that Wednesdays are off, so that every semester you can spend a full day every week somewhere, which is great for your uh, resume. It's it's funny. This will make you laugh. I, when I, my immediate reaction to that, like, I think most people would be appalled by that. I, I looked at him and I was like, I want to be that guy when I grow up. And now I'm that guy. <laughs> now you now are I'm that, that guy. guy. Now I'm that guy. <laughs> well done, man. Well done. <laughs> I've uh, All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, you can find us on social media. I'm even kind of on TikTok sometimes. I think maybe Ravi is too. Sometimes it's at Ravi M. Gupta. I'm at Jason Kander. Uh, please leave a five-star review on, um, you know, this show. Uh, Let us know how we're doing, but also it helps other people find the show. Thank you to the Midas Mighty. And remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today.